I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu, and this is our weekend review show, the show on which we look back uh, to all the weekend's action. We try and make sense of it. Uh, we give some overriding thoughts from it. Um, we should be in a better mood, given that Arsenal's game was, of course, uh, on Saturday and the attention is now turning to that trip to Stamford Bridge coming up on Wednesday. Lots and lots to get into from the Premier League action this weekend, but also the FA Cup semi-finals. Now on this show, let me just get this out of the way nice and early. We're not going to be talking Lacazette's comments. We're not going to be talking uh, the idea of flying a plane over Emirates Stadium with Arteta out sort of trailing behind it. And we're not going to be talking about Arsenal's decision to conduct a cultural review at the football club. We're going to do all of that on our next show, which is going to be streaming live at 5pm UK time right here on the channel. So that one will be purely focused on Arsenal. On this episode, though, we are going to look back at all of the weekend's action. So two bits of content coming uh, your way um, today. Let me uh, say a few hellos. Uh, let's say a big hello to Nitin Patel, um, who uh, starts it off with a right downer. <laughs> uh, after the second loss, I stopped watching any Arsenal-related shows. For me, things are not looking good from here on. A bad winter market cost us the Champions League spot, and it can be as bad as missing out on Europe altogether. Uh, big hello to Henry. He says, good afternoon, H. Keep the faith. He says, I uh, hope you're feeling good. He said he had a great day yesterday, barbecue uh, with his granddaughter and no talking football. Keep up the great work. Yeah, um, you need that sometimes, don't you? To kind of just escape from football for a little bit. Uh, glad to hear you had a nice day, mate. Big hello to Harvey. Uh, he says, staying away from most media was a good choice for me. Yeah, some, and sometimes that's good because what it does... Um, what it does is it kind of it means that your opinions and your sort of mindset is not influenced by anything you just get some time to kind of step away from it think about and focus on other things and then you can come back with a clearer head for sure a big hello to tony who joins us from perth in australia says happy easter i hope you all had a great easter of course anthony is deflated um i don't think you're the only one mate to be honest um, and Steve says, I've only just plucked up enough courage to look at the league table. As painful as it is, we're still fighting for a European spot in April. I would have taken that at the start of the season. Uh, Martin, I think he's trying to be funny here. Um, he says, so Arteta in, out at 5pm. Is that what you're trying to say? Krish uh, says, um, every new week I feel angry and frustrated when we lose in the weekends. And Alexis Sanchez, not the Alexis Sanchez, obviously, says, Harry, if Arsenal lose the next two or three in a row, what will you think of Arteta and the manager? Um, don't really want to go down the whole hypothetical rabbit hole of questions. Um, so uh, we'll uh, we'll leave that uh, until a little bit later on when we do discuss uh, Arsenal specifically and we focus a lot more uh, on the whole Mikel Arteta bit. OK, let's um, let's start off then uh, by kicking off uh, looking at the weekend's Premier League action. And I guess what made the result for Arsenal at Southampton even more frustrating was that Tottenham Hotspur um, had dropped points in a game that, in reality, nobody expected them to drop, 
drop points in. Nobody envisaged them losing at home to Brighton in the way they did. And to be honest, it was a game I commentated on. So it was a game I watched really, really closely. I was fully focused on it. I wasn't distracted. And I was actually really, really impressed by Brighton. And it's not an excuse for us not beating them the week before. Because, of course, we we should have. And I do think that if we were set up in the right way, we would have stood a much greater chance of um, of getting the result that we needed. But Brighton are a useful side with the ball at their feet. And they are capable of creating chances. And they're capable of controlling games. They're capable of having a, a fair amount of possession, more than you'd expect a club sort of in the lower half of the table uh, going away from home against one of the so-called big boys. So you've got to give the praise to Brighton here. Um, it doesn't excuse our performance the week before and it probably doesn't excuse Spurs either who were really, really not at the races on the day. You never felt watching that game at any point that Spurs were going to score. Um, and, and honestly, as I said to you guys yesterday when I was doing my commentary, I kept sort of dropping that in like, you know, at this moment in time, Tottenham don't look like making the breakthrough. But I was so careful because I didn't want to jinx it. I kept on throwing in lines like, but they've got Kane and Son, but they've got options from the bench. And fair play to Brighton. They not only shut them out, they not only, I thought, controlled the game for large spells, but they went down the other end and, and sort of managed to make it count, managed to make their performance count with a brilliant goal from Leandro Trossard, who was excellent. Um, again, operating largely from that left-hand side. But when he took the ball on, he sort of just dropped the shoulder, lost the defender, and with the outside of his boot, just steered it into the far corner. So a really good win for Brighton, who have taken six points in two weeks. Uh, now, of course, trips to Arsenal and Spurs back-to-back, winning both of those. And I think that's the kind of result that Brighton needed, really, to kind of get people off of Graham Potter's back, because he's already had a very good season by Brighton standards. And there were people sort of accusing them of having gone off the side of the of a cliff, having already sort of got their eyes on the beach and all of that. So for them to come down to North London twice and pick up two results like they did, it just serves as a reminder of what a good job that Graham Potter has done there, um, what a good footballing side they are and, um, and fair play to them. You have to give them a lot of praise. If I were a Spurs fan, I'd be very frustrated by that performance. It was abject. It was slow. It was without cutting edge. They never even looked, um, as I say, like scoring. Um, the chances they created were, were few and far between, and they just weren't good on the day. And it goes to show that sometimes you can have the greatest manager in the dugout, but if the players don't go out there and apply themselves a second to every ball and not at the races, then you can find yourself in this league being punished. It is a very, very difficult league. It's the most competitive league in the world. And you're seeing that uh, week in, week out when surprise results like that pop up uh, and sort of remind us uh, of how difficult it can be. But as I say, I don't want to focus on the negatives for Tottenham. I want to focus on the praise for Brighton because having watched the game, I really do feel like they deserve a lot of that as opposed to it being... Spurs weren't at it today. Spurs were this, Spurs were that. They weren't. They were poor. Um, and Antonio Conte, I think, would have been livid with that performance. But looking at, at the way Brighton performed, I think you have to say they were good value for the three points and um, and fair play to them. And that, of course, opened the door up for Arsenal, didn't it? And you were sitting there thinking, come on, if only, if only we can go to Southampton and get all three points. This could be a big weekend where the pendulum swings once again. But obviously, Arsenal proved 
uh, in their game at 3 p.m. that they weren't good enough to take advantage of that. Not going to go into detail on this one. Not going to continue to repeat myself. Not going to go over old ground. But if you want to check out the post-match reaction podcast and the podcast that we put out the next day, you can do so on the channel. You can find them uh, on the uh, podcast if you're an audio listener as well. You can find them in the feed. So do check them out. But you know, my feelings since Saturday haven't really changed. Um, Arsenal not ruthless enough in and around the penalty area. Arsenal not clinical enough when it mattered. Yes, we had control for large periods, but we never looked just like Spurs, like we were going to score um, sort of more than a single goal. And in the end, we didn't even get that single goal. Lots of praise for Fraser Forster coming out of the back of this game. Yeah, he made a couple of decent saves. But for me, they're saves that he shouldn't have the opportunity to make, particularly the Bukayo Saka one. Um, he's got to keep that low and he's got to finish that. He's got to be clinical there. He isn't. Uh, it's cost us. Neither was Emil Smith-Rowe with that effort that he had in the second half, which again forced a good save out of Forster to his left. But for me, when you watch that again and the way Smith-Rowe comes onto the ball, he doesn't make a clean contact. You make even a 50% contact with that ball, it's in the back of the net. But he just completely scuffs the effort. And again, it's a sign and a reminder of that lack of ruthlessness that this Arsenal team seems to have in and around the penalty area. So really, really disappointing uh, that we didn't at least get a point. Because let's be honest, look, nobody thought that Spurs were going to slip up and nobody saying that a draw at Southampton would have been an acceptable result. But had we picked up a point, then you're in a position where you know, you've got an extra point on Spurs. You've closed the gap by a point on a weekend that you didn't expect to make up anything. And it's not great. It's not ideal, but it's more than uh, I think a lot of us thought at the outset. So you have to take advantage of those situations. And if you can't fully capitalise, you've got to capitalise to some degree. And Arsenal just didn't do that at the weekend, which is as we've said already, incredibly frustrating. Uh, moving on to some more of the Premier League results. Manchester United beat Norwich by three goals to two. A Cristiano Ronaldo hat-trick again. And it just makes me laugh because the amount of times that we've talked about this, um, this season, sort of Cristiano Ronaldo, is he the problem for Manchester United? Is he an issue? Was it a bad idea to sign him? No, it wasn't. I mean, you look at moments like this, you look at games like this where Cristiano Ronaldo is the difference between them dropping two points at home to Norwich. Um, actually, they might not have even got the two points because he scored the first two goals as well. But Cristiano Ronaldo just makes that difference for a very average and a very poor Manchester United side. But has this put them back in top four contention? You have to say that it has. They've got a really difficult fixture coming up tomorrow away to Liverpool. Um, and then, of course, they come to Emirates Stadium on Saturday. So the next two games are going to be crucial for Ralph Ragnick's side. But Manchester United have sort of somehow, despite being awful for the majority of the season, have somehow fought their way back into this top four race. We've left the door open. Spurs have done so too, especially this weekend. And United are still in this with a shout. When you think about Arsenal, like just circling back to Arsenal for a minute, people are very quick to give up on uh, the top four chase. Win our game in hand on Wednesday. I don't think we will win it for the record, but win it. And we go level on points um, with Spurs. Draw it and we're within two points of Spurs and we have to play them. So again, it will be in our own hands. And and this is why like I've been really sort of frustrated by... Look, if you don't think Mikel Arteta is the right man, fine. If you don't think that he's good enough, fine. It's not a problem. 
But this this clamour to have him sacked now on the 18th of April, it doesn't make sense to me. First of all, it's going to take two, three weeks for Arsenal to go out there and identify the next manager and do the deal. OK, which means you're in limbo for two or three weeks. And we saw how that worked out last time in between Unai Emery and Mikel Arteta. It wasn't very good. We didn't get an uplift. OK, second of all, if you set somebody a goal and an objective at the start of the season, which for the record, as I said yesterday, I don't think Arsenal have been as clear cut and as strict on this internally. But if you do say that his objective this season is to finish in the top four, you can't really sack him and do it justifiably when that objective is still very much within his grasp and still very much, um, you know, a, a possibility. At the end of the day, to sack him today just doesn't make any sense to me. It, it really doesn't. And we're going to come on to talk about the idiots that, and they are idiots. Yes, I've said it. They're idiots. Come at me in the comments. But we are going to talk about those people who have been trying to campaign to get a plane flown over the stadium within Alteta. Um, out banner. It's it's honestly it's madness. It really really is. But the point I'm I was trying to make, and the point I've sort of digressed away from, is that of course Arsenal um, are still in the hunt for the top four. We might not be the favourites anymore, but we're still in the race. We still have a chance. Um, and actually, you know, when you think that Spurs have to go away to Liverpool still as well, um, if we could even just get a point in that game in hand. Um, at Chelsea on Wednesday night and then beat Manchester United at the weekend at Emirates Stadium where we need to create an electric atmosphere, then who knows? You know, who knows? Not all is lost just yet. Um, going back to the Premier League results, just to kind of uh, round up on those, uh, Watford lost at home to Brentford. You felt like if Watford were going to pull off the great escape, they really did need to get all three points against the Brentford side who are now safe. They didn't manage that. Roy Hodgson talking still positively in his post-match interview, but I can't see how Watford survived now. It's been the case for a few weeks now, but this was, for me, the last chance saloon in terms of them uh, sort of trying uh, to wrestle back some kind of hope. Uh, moving on to Sunday's games, uh, West Ham dropped a couple of points at home to Burnley. And the first thing you have to say about that game is, Wish Ashley Westwood a speedy recovery from what looked like a horrendous uh, ankle injury. Um, you could see it affected the players. You could see it affected the concentration of those taking part in the game. Um, and yeah, it's um, it, it's uh, it, it's a horrible thing to see, of course. From a West Ham perspective, they'll feel like it's two points dropped because they certainly had enough chances. Burnley might feel the same too because at 1-0 up, they had a penalty that Maxwell Corne made an absolute mess of. Uh, he put it wide of Lucas Fabianski's goal. But I guess um, I guess for me, you know, it's 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 an afternoon at the London Stadium that doesn't benefit either of these two sides. West Ham drop a couple of points. Burnley drop a couple of points. Although I think a point for them away at West Ham is probably still quite respectable given their struggles this season. Um, but it was an afternoon in the end where I think both sets of fans will come away feeling a little bit downbeat about the fact that it could have been and should have probably been more, but wasn't. Uh, elsewhere, Newcastle beat Leicester City by two goals to one. And the man who was heavily linked with a move to Arsenal, Bruno Gimaraes, uh, was the star for Newcastle United, scoring the equaliser 
after Adam Ola Lukman had put Leicester City in front and then heading home a late winner uh, off the back of a Joe Willett cross. And, and the scenes at St. James's Park were incredible. Look, I am disappointed that we didn't get Bruno Gimaraes. Um He went for a run about, I think, 35, 40 million pounds. Don't quote me on that. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. But at the end of the day, when you think about that price, it is a little bit frustrating that Arsenal didn't didn't do that deal. What I would say, though, is the fact that he ended up at Newcastle tells me that we probably were never in for him. Not seriously, anyway. Um, and, and so it's not a case of Bruno Gimaraes having chosen uh, to, to choose... Oh, sorry, having chosen to join Newcastle United over Arsenal, I don't think that he... Um, I don't think he was ever a realistic target. And you can make of that of what you will. You can say that Arsenal were wrong to overlook him. You can say that Arsenal were wrong not to make their move. I think they were probably wrong not to make their move. But that's um, that's that's the situation. So, uh, yeah, you could see how much it meant to him. Uh, he's starting to settle in. And Eddie Howe is, uh, is, is doing a good job at Newcastle United, you have to say. And he's one of those managers that I thought at Bournemouth at the beginning of his tenure, everybody was sort of waxing lyrical about him and how well he'd done with such a small club and that they were punching above their weight. Towards the back end, though, of his Bournemouth tenure, he started to spend quite a bit of money and didn't necessarily spend it wisely. I would say, though, that in January, I think Newcastle did the exact opposite of that. They spent the money impeccably well, brought in players who understand the Premier League, players who weren't going to need a load of time to get adapted to it, to get sort of accustomed to it and uh, and fair play to them. They've done a good job. Of course, they've got the money to get themselves out of those situations. And of course, that will always be looked at. But you still got to spend the money right. Arsenal spent lots of money over recent years and not always done good business off the back of it. So you have to give them credit where it is due. Uh, we're going to come on to the... Uh, FA Cup semi-finals in just a minute, uh, but I do want to take uh, some of your uh, comments as well from the chat box uh, before we move on. Um, let's see what we've got. Chris says that Graham Potter should be considered as one of the options, maybe a third choice. Uh, Riddy's not optimistic about the trip to Stamford Bridge on Wednesday. He says we ain't beating Chelsea away. Anything can happen against Manchester United, though, as they're almost as poor as we are. Uh, Momin says uh, Arsenal's finishing has been poor all season and we don't create enough chances. GB says 19th in the English Premier League for differential between goals and XG. Only Brighton are worse. We're toothless as an attack. But this kind of backs up the point that I keep making, mate. Like, yeah, you can say um, that with with Mikel Arteta, he's made mistakes in not bringing in a striker, uh, allowing maybe, if you want to go down this route, I don't subscribe to this idea, but if you want to go down this route, that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang should have been kept, should have been sort of uh, allowed to kind of get away with the, the disciplinary breaches for the good of the team. But at the end of the day, I think as a manager, there's only so much control that you have. And, and ultimately, the manager will be held responsible for results. The manager will be held responsible for the team's performances. But the point I'm trying to make here is that we talk a lot about setups. We talk a lot about systems. We talk a lot about controlling matches. And if, as a manager, you set up a team to go out and have that control, and they do have that control, and they do dictate the game, but the only thing missing is the conversion of the chances. Yeah, you can link that back to the quality of player that you've got leading the line or, or, or getting into those positions. But ultimately, I think as far as the setup goes, if you're in control of a football match and creating opportunities, 
the manager's done his bit. And that's why I think that, yes, the manager is responsible and you've got to look at him and you've got to focus on him for whatever the results might be. But there has to be a part in your brain that goes, okay, but is that actual part? Is that actual miss? Like Saka not putting the ball in the back of the net, Smith Rowe not putting the ball in the back of the net. Yes, as I say, quality of player matters and the best players put those balls in the back of the net. But there still has to be a level of accountability with the player for not converting those chances. And I feel like we've missed that um, in our assessment uh, sort of in recent um in recent seasons. Uh, GB also goes on to say, I believe we've only converted two or three of our last 73 attempts at goal. Um, Guna Talk, how you doing, Tom? Hope you had a good Easter, mate. Uh, good to see you in the chat. He says, uh, sacking Arteta now makes zero sense. End of the season is a different story. I agree. Let's review it at the end of the season. Um, and uh, make sure, if you haven't done so already, that you do get over to the Guna Talk TV and subscribe to Tom's channel. It is fantastic. Also, it's a good chance for me to remind you uh, while I'm on the subject of the live audience show that is coming up this Thursday, the 21st of April at the Hippodrome Casino in London's Leicester Square. It's presented by Lee Judges TV and Sophie of the Highbury Squad featuring myself, Harry Simu, and of course, uh, Tom Canton of the Guna Talk TV with special guest Kevin Campbell. Now, this event is free of charge if you want to come down. And we'd love to see uh, lots of you coming along, joining us, having a chat about the Arsenal. It would be great. So if you are interested, drop me a DM on Twitter at Harry Simeu, or um, you can email me at chroniclesafc at gmail.com. Uh, please do let me know if you want to attend. Um, if you've already messaged Sophie, or Tom, though, and they've told you that they've put your name down because I know we've got a lot of the same listeners and a lot of the same viewers because I've had some messages from some people saying, I messaged Sophie, I messaged Tom. Go ahead and, like, sorry, just send it to the one of us because it's going to get a little bit confusing otherwise in terms of like trying to sort out the list. But yeah, spaces are limited, um, of course. So we'd uh, we'd love to get you guys uh, coming and we'd love to get your names down as, as soon as possible to avoid anybody missing out um, sort of come last minute. So if you are interested, please do let me or Sophie or Tom or Lee Judges or Dan Potts uh, know so we can get you uh, down on the list. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, some of you talking about the aeroplane thing. We'll chat about that uh, a little bit later on, on on today's sort of Arsenal focus show, as I said. Um, so I'm going to park that one just for now. Aditya says, Gimaraish, but Harry Simiou thinks that in January you don't get good players. I never said that in January you don't get good players. I said that a manager doesn't set up at the start of the season uh, sort of planning or wanting to go into the market in January. Most managers want to do their business in the summer, want to have pre-seasons with players and view the January window as a window that you dip into if you need to and not one that you plan to go big in. Um, obviously, Newcastle's situation was different, Aditya. They were facing relegation. They were staring it in the face. They'd just become the richest club in world football and were staring the embarrassing prospect of being relegated down the face and had to act and so they had to go and spend. And when you have to go and spend and when you've got the money that Newcastle have got to spend, you will be able to get players because you have no regard for the knock-on effect that that transfer has and for the financial implications of it. Because as I say, 
richest football club in the world. He is a good player, Bruno Gimarash. No question about it. But as I said to you guys a little bit earlier on, clearly Arsenal didn't want him that much because if they did, they would have gone out and made that deal happen because there's no way he'd have chosen a relegation battle in Newcastle. No offence to Newcastle. It's a lovely place, but there's no, you know, there's no sort of, um, there's no, no justification for as to why Bruno Gimaraes would have chosen to go to Newcastle and play uh, relegation fighting football as opposed to challenging for the Champions League with Arsenal. Uh, let's say hello to Marshall, who says, good morning, Harry. We'll smoke United tomorrow at our great ground, Anfield. He's a Liverpool fan. Uh, and he says, uh, hope Arsenal make the top four. Fingers crossed uh, you can do us a favour there, mate. Um, what else have we got? Um, uh, Nate is a rival fan and says, give Arteta a five-year contract. Um what else have we got? Uh, Aditya, why do you keep putting my name in capital letters? Like, I, I do know my name. You don't have to say it. <laughs> um, Arsenal have never lost four games in a row since the 1995. Since 1995 in the Premier League, why does Arteta break all negative records? He hasn't lost um, four in a row. He's going to lose four in a row if we lose on Wednesday. So that's a prime example of someone preempting a problem so that they can make one. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Tom's put um, Thursday. Did I say Wednesday? No, the Arsenal game is on Wednesday. I meant Thursday. So, yeah, um, I, uh, I beg your pardon if I did say that. I can't even remember. What else have we got? Uh, Alex Inglis looking back at that January window says we tried for Vlavic and we didn't go for average players. Yeah, agreed. We didn't, we didn't want to compromise on the quality of signing that we want, were looking to make. And that's what, that's another point that backs up what I was saying yesterday in that you and I might be pissed off about the prospect of us missing out on the top four, given the position we were in. But I don't think the club are panicking. I really don't. I think the club, um, set out what was going to be a a long-term rebuild. It isn't in line with the expectations of the fans. It isn't acceptable in the eyes of a lot of the fans. And I completely get that. But I genuinely do think that the club um, have decided that they're quite happy for this to take a bit longer if they see um, if they see enough progress. And, and we don't know what their parameters are. We don't know what it is that they believe will be viewed as progress and what will be seen as maybe regression. I don't know. But um, we need to stop sort of, I guess, stop sort of trying to drive our own agendas here. Like the, the club are the ones that have the power to sack Mikel Arteta, not me, not you. And whilst I agree that there are question marks around the suitability to take this club to that next level, a, it doesn't mean that all the work he's done up to now has been bad because we're back in contention for the top four, which is more than anybody expected, despite him overseeing a huge rebuild and a huge turnover of players. We've recruited well in terms of bringing in young players with bright futures ahead of him. But the next phase now is to add quality and more experience. I do believe that. But the point I'm trying to make here is that you can think that Mikel Arteta is not the right man. And I've got my doubts about whether he could take us to that next level and that next place. But to sack him today on April 18th just makes absolutely no fucking sense. It doesn't. To do it now 
preseason would make no sense whatsoever. And also, I, I know we're going to talk about this a little bit later on, on on the show that we do later today. But if you as a fan base are sitting there plotting to flip and fly aeroplanes over Emirates Stadium with a banner going behind the plane saying Arteta out at a time that we're well in the race for Champions League qualification. What elite level manager, as you people like to call him, is going to look at that and think, yeah, this is an environment I want to work in. This is a place I want to be. This is a place where I'll feel loved. The toxicity is, honestly, is so off-putting. It really, really is. And I look at some of the things I see on Twitter and some of the sort of ideas that people come up with around about how we can force this manager out. And to me, it, it makes me cringe. I'm embarrassed at times to be associated with his football club when people who claim to be Arsenal fans want to talk about flying planes over stadiums with banners. If somebody who is for that could explain to me what they believe will come of that in, in terms of a positive, then please do let me know. Do you think that Stan Kroenke is going to sack him because you have put 20 quid into a GoFundMe page uh, to fly an aeroplane over a stadium? Absolutely not. Like These are shrewd business people who do what they please. Yes, the fans' opinion counts for something because without the fans, there's no football club. But th there is no justification for wanting that today, in my opinion. Anyway, um, let's go back to the weekend's football and let's switch our attention to the FA Cup semi-finals, the first of which took place on Saturday. Liverpool 3, Manchester City 2. I mean, Liverpool were just ruthless, weren't they? Manchester City made a few changes, though, and I think that significantly weakened them, I've got to be honest. Perhaps Pep Guardiola felt like he needed to. You've got to factor in that City's game uh, in midweek was a lot more taxing, a trip away to Atletico Madrid, in which they were involved in a, a bit of a battle in order to book their place in the last four of the Champions League. Um, you know, and, and he made a few changes and, and some of those changes cost them. They, they really, really did. The whole um, sort of goalkeeper thing. I mean, I don't think Edison makes the mistake that Zach Steffen does uh, for the second goal. And I also don't think he gets beaten at his near post. Uh, as well, the way that um, that Zach, Zach Stefan did for Liverpool's third goal. So, yeah, really disappointing day for City. But for them, the Champions League and the Premier League will be the priorities. I've always said that, yes, they'll want to win the Premier League because that's the bread and butter. But there's almost this obsession developing, isn't there, at the Etihad between Pep Guardiola and the Champions League. And I think his focus and attention will be uh, mainly on that. So, Will he be disappointed? Of course he will. Will the City fans who made the trip down from Manchester, from Manchester be frustrated? Yes, because the people that live in Manchester actually support City. It's not like United where they all live around Wembley and they just turn up five minutes down the road. Um, it was a long trip down and they'll be obviously disappointed with what they saw. Um, Chelsea, of course, uh, booked their place in the final where they'll meet Liverpool. 2-0 uh, victory over Crystal Palace. Um, and, and to be fair to Crystal Palace, they um, they gave a really good account of themselves. They frustrated Chelsea for long periods. But once that deadlock was broken, Ruben Loftus-Cheek with the goal, um, then it was um, it was always going to be difficult for Palace to turn it back around. Patrick Vieira has done a great job this season. There's no doubt about that. And nobody really saw them uh, winning that, I don't think. But um, fair play to them for giving it a right good go. And we've got another... Uh, Liverpool and Chelsea final. Um, just quickly before I move on, 
Uh, Moment says, where's the 19 intro, mate? You should learn by now that uh, when there's a bank holiday or an international break, it's a week off. So, yeah, there's no gas tank, um, no gas tank uh, today. Uh, I just wanted to highlight a tweet that I saw scrolling through earlier on today. And I haven't fact checked this, but I can't think it being uh, wrong by looking at it. He said, football is finished. Today's Wembley result means since the Premier League began, Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City or Man U will have won 28 out of 30 Premier League titles and 26 out of 30 FA Cups. He says it's boring. He says, by way of comparison, the previous 30 years before the Premier League, there were 10 winners of the Football League, 14 if you go back another four years and 15 winners um, of the FA Cup. So making the point that the competition um, is just... Although it's improved overall, like, although their levels improved overall, the likes of Chelsea, City, Liverpool, um, Arsenal, not so much in recent years, but Manchester United too, have been so dominant that it kind of shines English football in a bad light. And I, I tend to agree with that. But that, again, when you look at that, it highlights the stronghold, doesn't it, that some of these clubs have over the competitions. And particularly when you look at the recent years, you're talking a lot about City, you're talking a lot about Chelsea, you're talking a lot about those clubs. And it's no coincidence that those are the clubs that have the biggest spending power. I mean, Chelsea, Man City and Man United have a spending power beyond anybody else or have had a spending power much greater than anybody else. Arsenal are in there based on history and the same with Manchester United, uh, Liverpool um, too. But, you know, it, it just goes to show you that that it isn't as easy to break into this elite club, if you like, at the top of the Premier League as some people um, would make you believe. But money, money talks, doesn't it? Money talks. And so does that, does, does hearing that, does reading that, does knowing that sort of impact on your, I guess, perception of what success looks like or what respectable performance looks like? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, let's see uh, what else you guys are saying. Let's go back to the comments um, before uh, we take a few of your... Actually, we're going to save the Q&A bit for the show later because I've got a feeling that all the Lacazette and Arsenal stuff is going to come up. But we want to do a proper deep dive um, on that a little bit later on. Um, Mohamed says, Hi, Harry. The next three matches against Chelsea United and West Ham will determine our season. We must fight. Agreed. And we're going to be bringing you a preview of that Chelsea game uh, in a lot of detail tomorrow. Um, I think it is time to change the formation uh, for that one. So I will be um, for sure uh, breaking that down for you guys. Uh, Tobago Guna says, truly amazing how one will look at certain facts and disregard others to push an agenda. Keep up the intelligent approach, Harry. Thank you uh, so, so much. Alex, going back to that whole thing about signings, we need to stop looking short term. He also says, Top four, I believe, was never the target for this season. Great if we got it, but never a realistic objective yet. And as I keep saying, I think that's how the club saw it too. Rightly or wrongly, you can have an opinion on that, no problem. But that's why Mikel Arteta is not under any pressure. That's why Arsenal didn't panic in January. I, I really do believe that. Jonathan says, doubt his objectives were changed mid-season by KSC. He's probably on target by getting Europa League. I think so too. Um, Rifa sort of counters that by saying, I really hate this start of the season objective. The game is not played on paper. Things happen in football and you have to take advantage of it. We never do. Agreed. But my view on this is that, yes, opportunities will present themselves. I've said this maybe 50 times in the last three days. 
but you've got to be good enough to take them. And at this moment in time, Arsenal aren't good enough to capitalise or haven't been seen to be good enough in the last three weeks to capitalise on the slip-ups of others and take advantage, cementing our place in the top four. You can have a chance, but you've got to be good enough to take that chance. And also, I always say this, Rifa, that at the start of the season, although your, you know, your objectives might change or what you think the team is capable of might adapt and, and sort of change throughout the course of the season, you've got to remember that at the start of the season, there was no bias. There was no looking at Manchester United and saying, oh, they've had an awful season. There was no looking at Spurs and the ups and downs that they've had. And so the objective that you set at the beginning of the season, in my opinion, is more accurate because it's based on what you think your group of players, without any outside influence, without taking into consideration what City, uh, sorry, what United might do or what Spurs might do, which you have no control over, you are focused solely on the quality of your squad and you'll make your assessment and base your objective upon that and nothing else. So I actually would argue that that objective that you set is probably a more accurate one because of the fact that it isn't influenced by the performances of others, which you have no control over yourself. Uh, what else have we got uh, in the chat box? Jay Sayers um, says, we will never succeed till we get a successful manager. It's simple. Um, Michael says, uh, money is a tool you must have if you want to win. Um, what else we got? Uh, Leicester caught lightning in a bottle once. I guess that remains the exception that proves the rule. Another season where we bottled it thanks to not making moves in January. Um, Sam says there are five top teams in England, unlike one or two in other leagues. One of the five is bound to win. Jay Sayers says our rivals are having the worst season in their history, yet they're still all above us. You can't say it's the worst season in Tottenham's history. Jesus how long have you been around? Not very long, clearly, based on that comment, mate. Like, nah, I'm not having that. I'm not having that. And and listen, let's see. Let's see how it goes. Um, when we come to the end of the season, we'll make that judgment and we'll make that assessment. But at this point, while we're still in the race, let's let's get behind the team. Let's support the team. Let's turn up to the stadium and be vocal and, and back the guys and back the manager and back everybody. Because that is how we do our part as fans to create the environment upon which we're most likely to succeed. we got to do our part. You can't moan at the players for not doing their part and then turn up at a ground and be complaining and moaning and whinging and not be supportive because our job, our role as fans and supporters is to do that. Uh, Paul James says, we can't keep making excuses. We've lost 11 games in the league so far. We're on course for fewer goals scored and more goals conceded. I'm struggling to see progress. Everybody keeps pointing to this 11 games lost so far. We haven't drawn many games this season. I think we've only drawn three. And so we've been able to turn a lot of those draws into victories. Um, some of them have, have sort of ended up being uh, losses when we probably should have picked up some draws in some of those fixtures. I think that we should have got a draw at Southampton at the weekend, for example. But for me, I look at the points tally and I'm not too fussed about breaking it down to wins, losses or draws. I'm looking at the points tally and the average of that over the course of the season will give me uh, an indication, I think, as to whether or not there has been progress. And again, the, the season doesn't end today. It didn't end yesterday. And so let's um, 
let's look at it after 38 games because, as I say, you know, Arsenal could finish fourth or Arsenal could finish eighth. There's still a lot of jeopardy uh, remaining in this season. So um, let's not get too uh, bogged down by uh, the table at this point. Like, it's important, obviously, but what the point I'm trying to make is that it can change quite significantly between now uh, and the end of May. Okay, let's have a quick look at the league table before we sign off. Manchester City remain top of the pile on 74 points. Liverpool just behind them, a point behind them on 73. Uh, Chelsea on 62. Tottenham Hotspur are, are in fourth on 57. Both Manchester United and Arsenal are on 54. But of course, the Gunners have a game in hand over both of those sides. West Ham remain a couple of points behind us after their frustrating draw against Burnley, despite having played two games more. So it's not all lost. It's not all doom and gloom. Um, you know, let's see how the rest of the season goes. And as I say, if we miss out on the top six, which I do believe would have been the target at the start of the season, then we can look back. We can try and work out where it went wrong. We can try and allocate the blame, the responsibility, whatever you want to call it, and then make a decision or, or decide whether we think that Arsenal should pursue with this manager. But at this point, as I say, I just don't think it's helpful to be drumming up lots of negativity around the club. And it's not false positivity either. It's just supporting your team. You can support someone or something or a cause or a club or a team without agreeing with every decision they make. You can be supportive of someone whilst recognising that they're not perfect. Um, that is basically what love is. And if you claim to love this football club, then you've got to get behind them. You've got to support them. And um, and we'll, uh, we'll uh, see where we are come the end of the season. OK, I'm going to catch you all a little bit later. I remember we'll be back at 5 p.m. UK time for another show in which we'll be talking about Alexander Lacazette's comments regarding his future. We'll also be talking about those planning to fly a plane over Emirates Stadium with a Mikel Arteta out banner. I'll be having a bit of a rant about that. And the report from David Ornstein today in which he confirmed that Arsenal are conducting a top-to-bottom cultural review, uh, which is called the Arsenal Way. Tom, you might want to have a chat with them about that name uh, in a bid to connect with the history and values among a acceptance that it has faded. We'll be back very, very soon with more. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.